I'm Gary Cook, and you're listening to Trailblazers. Back in the 1970s, young lads from Dublin generally did one of two things. They played football or they played music. Now, some lads became bedroom guitar players and most of them stayed there. Not so today's guest. He's from Clontarf in Dublin and he is basically one of the world's top guitar players. How are you, Jerry? I'm good, thank you. Very good. Nice to be here. Um, what's particularly uh, interesting for me is that Jerry Leonard, on top of everything else, is also my old guitar teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I can tell by that he, he I, I didn't make a huge impression on him, but that's that's fair enough. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to cut straight to the chase if I'm allowed. All right, we'll we'll go back overall your history. Do it, yeah, do it. Get to the, how get does to the... a lad, no matter how talented he may be, from uh, Clontarf, just opposite the wooden bridge there in the seafront, go from playing in the Spies, in the Summit Inn, to being the guitar player and musical director of David Bowie? Yeah, you know, Gary, I, I found a secret trapdoor under the stage of the Summit Inn. <laughs> and it led right down. He climbed down the ladder, led to Bowie Land. You know, uh, that's why I was. I went down that same trapdoor, but uh, I, I <laughs> wound up in a fishing boat. Yeah, um, yeah I, I diverted it. <laughs> I diverted it after I got through. I know you went to to New York in sometime in the nineties, right? So yeah. how did the Bowie thing come about? So you know, I think uh, I think a lot of this is to do with uh, this kind of like blind faith idea that we clung to uh, in our innocence in uh, in growing up in Dublin. The idea that you could be in a band and once you got your songs together, you could get a record deal. And once you got a record deal, you could be making records and, and part of the, you know, jump into the stream, jump into the river, get to the ocean of, you know, being successful and all that kind of thing. You know, uh, of course, there's many twists and turns along the way. For me, the path was bands, 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 eventually a band that got signed to Island Records, Hinterland. Yeah, ran, we made a record, ran its course. Part of that was, I, I, that took me to New York for the first time and I fell in love with New York. And when that all kind of like ran its course, um, as these things often do, I, I moved to New York. I knew I had to do something uh, to try and keep going. So I moved to New York. Uh, rather than London, I, I felt New York was welcoming and exciting and I loved the city. And I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go there and, you know, uh, I'm pretty handy on the guitar and I'll, I'll, I'll be a guitar player there. And, and that's, you know, that was my simple idea. Uh, of course, when I got to New York, I, I realized that, you know, there's, there's so many incredible guitar players here. It's one of those melting pots, cultural melting pots. But it, it in itself was the cauldron that helped me kind of up my game. Uh, I always say New York was my filter in a lot of ways. It helped me filter out. It made me, it stood up to me and it was like, well, who are you? What are you good at? What are you not good at? Maybe you want to try and put together the things that you're good at. And, uh, you know, it was through that kind of sieve and process that, you know, I emerged as, you know, ambient you know kind of color box guitar players a little bit different than i had a different route 
than the American guitar players, which come up a lot in in uh, in in blues and rock and roll. You know, we we came up through new wave and and I'd done classical guitar, so I had this weird mixture of my own uh, kind of harmonic sense and 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 sense of playing the guitar and and through persevering with that and, and trying to make something of that i i worked through the network and 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 started working with people that eventually led to david i mean i can tell you a few stories along the way that are kind of entertaining but that's that's essentially what happened i saw ages ago that because i saw your name like this is you know going back 15 years or so and yeah. some said to me oh jerry leonard is works with david bowie now um and i looked you up and i i love the line is it david bowie's line that he said he described you i mean he was obviously hugely into your guitar playing he described you as a, a guitar architect <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so, you know david was one of those people look i mean i i feel myself feel very fortunate to have met david and the paths led there and there were some good friends along the way that kind of steered me towards that um but once we once we met we kind of we kind of bonded in a way of david loves he loves a joke and and i think there's a there was always a really strong sense of humor about what we did, you know, in the Dublin, it's kind of like, you know, you walk into Dublin pub and the first thing people will, will say is something not to put you down, but it's a tough room, you know, they'll have a dig and you got to have a comeback. And it's like that. And, and there was, there was so, so, you know, I think David, he, he no time for like sycophants or people who are like, Oh my God, David Bowie, oh, you're the most wonderful person. You know, he wanted to have real conversations, real exchanges. So there was that. And also I fulfilled, he was looking for a particular kind of guitar player, um, for what he was up to at that point. And, and, um, I guess there wasn't that many people doing what I was doing in New York at the time. I mean, there were, but they were either more established. And so when people are more established, they're kind of more in their own thing. So they're not as available to, to what David would want, which is like, we're going on the road for three months, pack your bags kind of thing. I was like, I'm right there. I have my bags packed. I'm ready to go. But you know, I think over the years, I got to do some really nice things with David. He called me up once and he was like, I want to do Loving the Alien at Carnegie Hall. He's like, do you want to play Carnegie Hall on Saturday? This is Tuesday, you know? And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me, David? Of course I want to play Carnegie Hall. And he's like, well, I want to do Loving the Alien. I want to start on the scene. I want it to be just you and I. So I'll see you at rehearsal on Friday. And, you know, that's, you know, I went off and, and tried to figure, you know, I, I came, I was like, what, what am I going to do here? Came up with an arrangement that he he loved, and and so we did it every night on on the reality tour, which was very you know it was straight out of the spooky ghost solo playbook, which was like I do this looping thing, I I become my own rhythm guitar player, or I have a texture that I play over, and and I and it's it's very essential in a lot of ways uh, to the the sense of the song in a simple way, but still in a powerful way, and he responded to those things, you know. Um, he came when we did the next day record, he came up to my house and three times and we wrote, we wrote three songs together. I mean, stuff like that. So I think on some level we, we connected and, uh, I was obviously a fan, but I think he, you know, I think, 
I think he, he liked hanging out. When he wanted to do guitar, he was like, I'll call Jerry and stuff, you know. So amazing, amazing. What can I tell you? It's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, look, everybody's view of, of David Bowie is slightly different, but there's nobody who doesn't think that David Bowie like it's such a not just a massive name but a thing david bowie's just this stratospheric thing that exists in this other world like even yeah. the people talk about mick jagger or, or bob dylan there's something no matter how stratospheric they are there's something of this world about them whereas yeah. bowie seems to me like the kind of guy that you just kind of go jesus i can't believe i'm actually on the stage with this man was yeah, yeah. feel kind of you have to pinch yourself a bit. Well, you do. You have to pinch yourself, but you also kind of have to give yourself a kick, you know, because he he wants he doesn't he wants you to engage. You know, that was the thing with David. He didn't want, you know, we would chat and all that kind of. Thing. When it came to the work, he wanted to engage and he wanted to work quickly and he wanted to he wanted things to happen. And I understand that. I I I have the same when I, you know when I started doing my solo thing, it was very much about immediacy um making everything happen right there and then like it's like like making the guacamole at the table it's kind of like it's not there's nothing pre-prepared here we're just going to take some good raw ingredients and we're going to make it and there's something exciting about that and the audience responds to it um david loved that you know and um i think but you're right to say that you know david was very special very very special person um very evolved um incredibly knowing and knowledgeable an incredible reader of people you know it's interesting that you say he seemed evolved it's a really good word because i've looked at him a lot over the last few years and thought that is precisely what he is or he was incredibly evolved not yeah. clever in a emotionally intelligent way that's the feeling i got yeah 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 he he was and and he was he was he was into he was into uh taking risks and pushing himself like he never if you notice like in his career he never wanted to do what he did before and he never wanted to rest there and he never wanted to kind of do well this is working let's do it again i mean he, yes he had his devices that he used uh, but only to only he only just got better with them you know i mean if if you think about you know, a lot of people now when we do these um, kind of like celebrating David or, you know, even with original band members, you know, the, the hardest thing to find is the singers. And the problem with the songs are they seem easy and and then they're not. You realize it's got a huge range or there's all these stacked background parts that you never thought about that are kind of invisible, but they're really punchy and making it happen. Or he's got these different characters that he goes into. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. He, was a, he, was, he made it look effortless, but he, 
he was really uh, skilled at what he did. And uh, as a creator, as a thinker, um, as an as a real artist, like I mean, he he painted, he did an incredible voice, and he wrote music. He did a lot of things. He designed, you know, all his stage shows. He 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 thought about the concept of a record from from start to finish. He had that overarching kind of idea. So when you came on board with David, you were kind of jumping on a moving vehicle that was already had a destination, and he wanted he wanted you there. But he knew why he wanted you there, and he didn't micromanage you. He wanted you there to be you. And he was like, "Okay, do your thing." Yeah. I wonder, like for guys who are, you know, no matter how good guitar players they are, but you know, when they're playing the uh, guitar live with somebody really big, like, you know, you would imagine they've got to fit into exactly how how the song is, or is that the case? Or did you have a little bit of freedom to have your own input into that? Yeah, well, we we had a, we had a lot of freedom. We had a lot of freedom. Um, but we had this mixture in the band, which was really nice. Where we we had a lot of respect for for the iconic songs and versions that that had been done before. That you know we loved, so we didn't want to completely reinvent the wheel. Now, if he wanted us to, we would do that. But otherwise, we were kind of like, let's really strongly reference the original, but then bring it to life. Mm. Uh, you know, nobody was playing up there playing like a cover band where you're just kind of like, well, I got, you know, I kind of worked at the solo. You'd, you'd kind of like, you'd have room, you'd have a lot of room and, and certainly working on, on his new records and stuff like that, you got a lot of room and, and playing live within the show, you got a lot of room and you could talk him into, you know, I, I remember when we did some stuff, uh, from the heathen record that was David Torn had done all this beautiful, um, he's an amazing ambient guitar player. And uh, he'd done all this incredibly detailed stuff. And, but I wanted to create it live. I didn't, you know, it's kind of the temptation is, you know, you take this beautiful sound and you just put it on tape and then that becomes part of the show. But the idea of like, well, let me just make it. So you'll see on the reality show, there's a few points where I just go out by myself and I start this loop, which I'm making right there on the spot and making it happen. And then the band come in. It's a lot of pressure, but it also, it elevates the show to a point where it's it's like uh, the guacamole at your table. It's kind of like you know you see it being being made. There's something about it. It's fresh and it's it's responsive to the room. Uh, that that's the kind of playing I got into in New York, where you know I wanted to uh, go out there and take some chances. And you know David wanted you to, wanted you to do that. So uh, he was all about that kind of sponta- spontaneity. And uh, didn't do so that. It, was, it was this wonderful mixture of like. We had a direction, we were on the bus, but we were also, we were, uh, what's the word when you're, you know, we were given permission yeah. to, 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 to bring our own spice to the thing, you know. Didn't you say you talked him into doing something at the beginning of the show, and I think it was one of your earlier shows with him, and he, he, he turned to you and you're going up to the steps and said, and you thought he was going to say, good luck, Jerry, you're a great guy and all that. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> yeah, that was the very first show I did with him. Yeah. And uh, it was in Roseland. We were doing a warm up for the Meltdown Festival in London. And his idea for the show was to do his new heathen record and the low record, right? And so the heathen record started with one of these loops that I'm talking about. It was, it was Sunday, I think, was. And it was this kind of complicated thing that I had to do to start the whole show. And I'm going up this little, it's a little ladder to go up onto the stage and he taps me on the shoulder. And yeah, and exactly. I thought he was going to be like, good luck. And he goes, don't fuck it up, Jerry. <laughs> Just like that, you know, I'm literally like, 
on the steps, I'm thinking, okay, I got it. You know, and he's like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> you know, I was like, got it. That's great. It. It's, yeah. That's a great rock and roll story, Cherry. <laughs> um, but he clearly, as you say, clearly had a big sense of humor. He seems to me to be a very funny guy. And in some respects, whenever I've, you know, been looking at him interviewed, particularly more more recently, um, going back over his life, although he's an extraordinary individual in one way, down to earth and quite ordinary bloke and at, at times, he almost sounds like this lad who really does come from South London. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he had a he had a pragmatism about him. He wasn't, you know, when we were rehearsing and stuff like when we came to lunch or something, you know, he wanted a sandwich, you know, just like everybody else. He just like, give me a sandwich and a cup of coffee. You know, it's no, no, no frills, no big thing. You know, um, it's refreshing because, you know, often what comes with, especially artists, and I, and I see it a lot and you, you get, you, you've had a good run, you've had a few successful records and everybody says yes to you all the time. And then you go around expecting the world to say yes to you. And it just doesn't. It only does that if you have a bunch of people around you running around mopping up after you, you know what I mean? And that's that are on your payroll. That's the only way the world is going to maybe appear to say yes to you. The rest of the time, you know, if the traffic light changes to red, you got to stop. It's just like everybody else, you know, so. When you were my guitar teacher, Jerry, the, that was my dream and my, the biggest reason for wanting to be in a rock band was because you'd yeah. be successful and nobody could say no to you. <laughs> People yeah. would do all the, all the crap you didn't want to do. My yeah. dad would be going, you don't live in the real world. You know, you're like a child. And I'd say, yeah, that's the way I'm going to stay when I get into this really big rock. But you must have seen that mess in some people without naming names. Have you seen that ego kind of crash? Yeah, I've been around. I've been around some pretty big egos. And uh, and uh, I, I yeah, I've had to work with that. I mean, it's it's a it's kind of a personality thing. It's kind of like what we do, I think, as sidemen or musical. You know, I do a lot of this musical direction stuff and for bands and artists. And you, you know, were sometimes always a musical director as well. You weren't just a you know simply a musician with him. You were you had a lot of respect. Yeah, I, yeah. The second the second tour, I I did one tour with my friend Mark Platty was the, the musical director, and then Mark had to leave for another project, and um, he put me for put me forward with David and I became because I you know I had a studio background so a music production background a little bit and then the bands and the a little bit of because I studied classical a little bit of theory and stuff so I had I have the building blocks for that kind of thing I don't regard myself as this virtuosic musician I mean I work with conductors and stuff and I'm like in, in awe of what they do but I'm always like I just approach them and go like, I'm not trying to be them I, I approach them and I'm like look you're the conductor but I think I think we need a break here or I think it needs to be quieter here or I think here's an idea could you write this in you like could we do something like this and, and most of the time they're musicians too uh they're like yeah you know we can we can do that because they see that I'm trying to serve the song I'm not trying to get my name on the credits I'm trying to serve the song so you know as musical director and stuff um I've had to you know, you, you know, deal with a lot of uh, artists and situations. And yeah, you see, you, you see how people, are, you know, I see sometimes how people, they seem insulated and isolated. Uh, I actually have compassion for people like that. And I'm not saying that to be a smart arse, but I think that's my best route. Like, I don't need it head on. I need it with compassion <laughs> because I'm like, 
oh, they don't really, they're not really in the real world. I am, however, and it's my job to get this into the real world. So I need to, how am I going to get them there? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, I did a session with Roger Waters and, and he storms in and he's all, you know, everybody's like freaking out. And he's like complaining about this and that and the other. And he wants a cup of tea. He wants a cup of builder's tea. And I can see that the the New York uh, lady, Sandy Parks, who runs the whole orchestra. And she's like white face. She's like, I don't know what he means. And I'm like, I have some Barry's tea right here in my back. Come on, I'm going to make him a cup of tea, which we did. We gave him a cup of builder's tea. It changed him. And he was he was so nice then, you know, um, so they're people, they just they just don't know, you know, they just don't know what they want or they know what they want. They just want it, whatever, you know, so you got to, you know, whether it's a cup of tea or the guitar solo, you know, I got it. I got it in the bag. <laughs> and yeah, well, I was a big Floyd fan, as I'm sure you were as well. And I've seen, you know, the um, <laughs> the rancor, the after Floyd rancor <laughs> and uh, and so on. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Roger Waters. I think he's amazing, obviously. But I get the feeling, you know, as a guy, I, I wouldn't want to piss him off. That's for sure. Yeah, Roger's tricky. Roger's tricky. Uh, and I've only worked with him a few times. I worked with him maybe three times or so. And, you know, he's prickly and he's tricky and very talented. I mean, when he got on board and we were working, and it was the Pink Floyd engineer guy who'd done all the Pink Floyd records. So for me, it was a treat to work with this engineer because he was like, here's what we do. You know, we triple track everything and we do this. And they were working with tape machines and stuff. and. They, he loved the guitar, so we just kept going. We did two days of guitar on this thing, um, and it ended up being kind of a feature. It was for a, a, the closing credits of the last Mimsy movie, and, you know, it was a deadline, and everybody was, you know, the film company were there. Everybody was, like, waiting on Roger, because Roger had, Roger had procrastinated. The movie was getting finished. They needed this track, and it was kind of like, like rolling at the red carpet for him. And so we did this tra did this track. But when he got it, then he got involved, and he was like, he would he would give us these little directions, like, "Well, try this," or "Could you change it here?" Or get behind, so no, that what you're doing there, you do that again, like. And then it started to sound like a Pink Floyd record. It really did. Like he has that touch, and you kind of go, "Yeah, that's how, that's who made these records that we love." It's that this that person and it's that personality. And even if it pisses people off, that's the person that 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 made these things and that's how it got done. I don't think there's you know, people ask these questions about I don't know, sports people, you know, somebody you've met like a golfer, a friend of mine's a golf caddy, guy from Hoth. And people yeah. say to him, you know, is such and such a nice guy? <laughs> he goes, it doesn't really come into it. <laughs> you know, yeah. your whole life is about getting the ball down a hole. Being nice is not, you know, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they can turn the charm on when they have to, but, you know, they can do the opposite as well. So it's yeah. a hard thing to carry around being very creative and, and being very... Well, you know, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, artists like that, there's a lot of expectation and there's a lot of, like, everybody has a story they want to tell you you know meet people and, and everybody wants to tell you the story about how they play you know i played your song at my wedding or and that's cool that's that's really important that's that's but how many times has that artist heard that story hundreds thousands of times so some people are better at it than others some people just kind of get weary of it and they get cranky about it but um cindy lopper is another one i worked with and i love i love cindy but you know she's a firecracker and you don't want to get on the wrong side of cindy oh my god she burn you up um but i got along with her you know we got along 
somebody who uh, you know and probably like a lot, uh, Connor Brady. Yeah. Um, Connor, Connor said to me, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, he said, he said that you were great in the studio because you were very good with, very good with people. Yeah, well, it is about people. It is about personalities. Music is, has got its huge social thing about it, you know. So, you know, if you're producing something uh, and I get musicians in, I need to get a certain thing achieved. But if I, if I start bossing them around, uh, they're going to shut down and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get that thing that I employed them for, which is what you want, you know, or if it's, if it's an artist, then you, you just try and uh, steer it so that you get them into a good creative place. The worst thing, I, I hate missed opportunity, Gary. And, and when it comes to music like that, sometimes if, if something is under rehearsed or not prepared properly or badly recorded or something, it's just kind of like, why? Why did that have to happen? When you could have stayed, if somebody just prepared for a few hours beforehand, it would get better, you know, you'd have a better, you know. Yeah, well, I suppose people are people, and uh, it. it I, I've spent my life in in acting in comedy, really, with a show yeah. called Apre Match, where um, we did a lot of stuff over the years, and um, you probably missed all of it, Jerry, because you're in America. But and Gary Cook's conversation with guitar hero Jerry Leonard continues in part two. <laughs> 